being a leader, I feel like necessitates being open to change. Welcome to The Found Podcast with Molly Knuth, a podcast for women who are founding and getting found with their businesses online. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and my mission is to help women rewrite how we live and work on our own terms. We want to grow families, impact others for the better, and be a positive force in our communities. But we also want to have a fulfilling life, you know? In the past six years, I've gone from being a stay-at-home mom to a freelance social media marketer to a hashtag boss babe, managing client needs, talented team members, and my husband and four kiddos on our little farm here in Eastern Iowa. And what I've learned in that time is that it's not just about going full force or any one-size-fits-all strategy for a business owner. It takes you leaning into your unique gifts, intuition, and goals, and learning who you are as a person along the way to founding this business. So come along for lessons and stories from female founders growing and scaling their businesses through energetics, tried and true tactics, and high vibe personal growth. Be ready to get found. Hey there, listener. I'm so excited to have you for another edition of the Found Podcast. And today we're going to talk about change and how it's okay to change your mind. Now, this is a fun episode. The reason I put this together originally was because I was asked in January to be a speaker at my alma mater. And I know I live in a small town. I live in the small town that I graduated from, but this wasn't my high school alma mater. This was my college alma mater, the University of Northern Iowa. And their women in business organization contacted me to ask if I would be willing to speak at their Young Women in Leadership Conference. They were hosting young high school girls from all over the state of Iowa for a one-day intense conference so that they could learn from local leaders and understand what it takes to be a woman in the business field. Now, for a couple of reasons, I felt imposter syndrome kick in. First reason was because when I attended the University of Northern Iowa, it was not for a business degree. In fact, I was actually an undecided major when I first went to UNI, which I'll talk about in a second. But as I was exploring potential majors, I went to a what is a business major workshop so I could kind of explore what the syllabus might look like, the different courses. I sat in a meeting in the Curris Business Building And I saw on the list that just to graduate from that college, I would need to take macro and microeconomics. And I was like, peace out. I'm not doing this. (laughs) And so I left and never looked back at that building. And so to be asked to come speak for the business program was really humbling and exciting. And also like, what will I even have to offer here for a lot of reasons? Now, the second reason it was like imposter syndrome city was because it was to be held at the Gallagher Blue Dorn Performing Arts Center, which is the fine arts center on campus. And it not only is like utilized by the university, but it also hosts traveling shows like Chicago. And oh gosh, there's a whole list of different performers. David Spade, I saw a poster of his performance there while I was in the green room. And it just felt very huge. (laughs) And so When I was talking with the planners of the Young Women in Leadership Conference, they asked me to speak because they wanted that perspective of someone who had the entrepreneurial experience 
and from someone who had the small town experience. The other speakers that day ranged from people who were in the Waterloo Cedar Falls area, which is where UNI is located, as well as some people who worked with big corporations like John Deere. And so I was to come in and kind of give that smaller scale perspective as my own story. And so when I was kind of thinking about what I could potentially share with these women, it was that as I reflected on leadership in particular through my life, I noticed that it wasn't always when I did big things or grand declarations that leadership was at its highest in my life. It was often when I was leading in small ways and listening to that little small voice that showed up in my head and said, what if we do this differently? And instead of just doing things the way that they had always been done, it was okay to make a change. And so that was the message that I brought to the girls that day when I actually did take the stage at Gallagher Blue Dorn for my part at the Young Women in Leadership Conference. Um, at this point, I do want to say thank you to all the planners who thought of me and also who allowed me to also change the way that other presentations probably went. So anyway, this is called It's Okay to Change Your Mind. And you know, if this is your first time listening in, my name is Molly. And over the span of my life, I've changed my mind a lot. So some of the different labels that I've held have been, you know, the academic. In high school and in college, I was the kid who academics came easy to me. And so I was typically seen as the person who got good grades. I could be labeled as a worker. Like I always had two jobs from the time I was 15 until the time I was 22. And it wasn't out of the ordinary for me to go to school and then go to one job, go to another job, and then go to drama practice. Or it wasn't out of the ordinary for me to, um, you know, have a summer job or a part-time job while also having a full-time job. So I worked various jobs. I've been a teacher. I've been a stay-at-home mom. I've been a social media solopreneur. I've been a boss of managing multiple people as a social media agency. And throughout all of these examples of labels of who I am, I never really explicitly thought of myself as a leader. But as you'll hear in a little bit, throughout each of these little time frames in my life where I've had these different labels, leadership has shown up in small ways. So as I go through some of these examples, I want you to reflect on your own story. And as we look back at where we've been, it all compounds to where we are today. And if you're like me, you may not have those big moments where you had this grand plan and you said, here it is. Here's the day that I'm starting. Now lead. I'm leading. Now come follow. But you may have had different points, like you'll hear in these stories coming up, where you just have that small little voice inside you, that little ping that says, what if we did it this way? And you had the courage to listen, take action, and lead through example. So as we go through the stories today, I also put together a fun little playlist if you're listening then you can head to the show notes and it will link to a Spotify playlist that coincides with this very podcast episode. So when you open the playlist, you'll see 10 different songs. These 10 different songs correspond to 10 different times in my life where change took place, leadership took place, and 
I had a takeaway of some sort. Now, at the end of the episode, you will also hear a couple of major announcements from me as far as MKM and as far as some of the things that I've uh, not forecasted. What's the word I'm looking for? Previewed? Announced? Things that were started back in 2022 that I needed to do an update on. So anyway, all right, story number one. And this has a picture that you guys will want to check out in the show notes as well. So come with me to a time back in the year 1999-2000 when this song was all over the airwaves. Now, if you are a millennial like me, an elder millennial, or even like somebody who's around that age frame, you remember Christina Aguilera. You remember the pop candy that was the late 1990s and the early 2000s. And this song was no different. So in the early 2000s, Molly was in eighth grade and she was getting ready for the junior high dance team's greatest show of the year, Jam the Gym. Now, for the Cascade locals listening, you may remember Jam the Gym. It was a dance expo, kind of, or that's probably not the right terms, but the school opened their gymnasium for one day in the winter. It was typically Super Bowl Sunday, and there would be a big production. Local schools, actually even schools from really far away, would bring their dance teams, cheerleaders, and they would literally and figuratively jam the gym in Cascade. And it was something that was a major like fixture of the community. People would line up outside. They'd sit in lawn chairs, order pizza. This was February, so it wasn't warm in Iowa. But it was one of those things where it was just like person to person, elbow to elbow. It was packed in the gym. And this was something that was known not just in our town, but also in our region. And so our junior high dance team every year put together this one-time performance that was exclusively performed at Jam the Gym. And that year of Come On Over Baby, that was the song that we were doing our dance to. We had these black leotards with black pants, fringy bottoms, with a little pink and black sparkly rhinestone tank top that we wore over top. Uh, We had a kind of a movie theme going on, so we had different props, bouncy balls, um, those little movie clappers. And we could also kind of spice it up with sparkles and any sparkly accessories. So I, in the picture that you'll see, this is the worst picture I've ever taken, you guys. Well, that's not a challenge for anybody who knows me personally. I don't need to see any other worse ones. But this is probably the worst picture of like my junior high years. Um, And go to my website if you want to see it or my socials. But I had not quite learned how to straighten my hair. I knew that if you took a blow dryer to it, my curls came out but I didn't yet know how to tame the frizz or the triangle effect, as it were, of having a short hairstyle with blow-dried curly hair. Um, I also embraced the butterfly clips. I also embraced the like white trans, not even translucent, like the white silver sparkly eyeshadow and super bright red lip, but I hadn't quite mastered the art of lipstick. And so you'll see it like above my lip, below my lip. And really, I don't know what this photographer was thinking. For the terms of my presentation at Gallagher Blue Dorn, I did have to tell the girls in the audience, like this wasn't the time where we could just like retake a picture. Digital photographers weren't a thing then. It was like a film photographer. You had to come with your best option 
you got one shot at this film photo and you didn't know if it was good or bad until like weeks later when the photos were developed, sent back and packaged up for your dance team. This photo was horrid, you guys. So anyway, let me back up. I remember preparing for the Jam the Gym, like final run through at final practice. The number one like dancer on our team, she was like the point, she was in the front. And then I was probably like the number like two, three, four, five dancer, somewhere in that mix. But I was, I know that for certain formations, I was right behind that number one girl. And she got injured in that practice. And so she left the floor and we were doing that final like practice thing where I was like, oh shoot, I hope she's going to be okay so that she can be in the performance at Jam the Gym. And I remember the coach of the team came up to me and she like took me by the shoulder and she's like, Molly, and do you ever have these memories where you're like, I don't know why this stands out so much, but this moment did. And so the coach came up to me by the shoulder. She's like, Molly, you got this. You know, so-and-so might not be able to come out for Jam the Gym, but I know that you've got what it takes and you just need to believe in yourself and you need to like, just know that you can do it and you can, even without her, help us do the best, whatever. And I remember like after she let go of my shoulder and walked away, I was like, well, duh, of course I got this. Like there wasn't even a question in my mind that of course, like, okay, we're going to just do this the way we'd always done. We weren't going to like take too much time worrying. We were just going to get down to it and continue the practice. And so I just, when we started the countdown of like five, six, seven, eight, and the music started, we just did it. I didn't do any big pronouncement of like, okay, guys, we got this or any like hype up pep thing. It was just like, we're going to continue as usual and we are going to like do this without missing a beat. And so we did. And spoiler alert, you know, she came back. She was fine. Jam the gym went, I can't say flawlessly, but it went pretty well. And, you know, come on over baby was just fine. And what I learned in that example was that I can lead others if I lead myself. So that internal voice that said, of course I got this and just like believed that I had that no matter what, that went a long way in just continuing and like showing others that we still could do this even though we were under adverse conditions, right? And so other times in my life, as you'll hear, this mantra of I can lead others by leading myself continued to show up. But I do believe that that moment that all I want is you, <laughs> that was one of those foundational moments of leadership where I learned that mantra. I can lead others by leading myself. All right. Song number two on the playlist. Anybody recognize this one? This is from the like early 2000s. Coldplay was all the rage. Look at the stars. Look how they shine for you, high schoolers in the early 2000s. I should have been a radio DJ. Um. So this song is Yellow by Coldplay. And I associate this song with my summer attendance at the Iowa Leadership Camp. You know, in a moment of irony, after that like pivotal dance team moment of my eighth grade year, I decided not to pursue dance in high school. I didn't try out for the high school team. And so instead I decided to do things like drama club, uh, speech club, student council, things like that. And so as part of my student's council experience, I attended twice the Iowa Leadership Camp, which 
another moment of irony, was at the University of Northern Iowa campus. And so for a whole week in the summer, kids from all over the state who were on their own student councils came together to learn leadership um, exercises. And it didn't even really feel like we were learning explicit like leadership tactics or strategies. It really just felt like we were having fun and like making new friends. <laughs> and so honestly, when I think back on those days of leadership camp, all that really sticks out to me are the people who I got to engage with and the cool things we did. So like in one memory, we were given all of these like random recyclables. So we had these broken down boxes and we had old PVC pipe and we had styrofoam wedges and we had different teams with different colors. And you had all of these recycled materials piled up in front of you. And the challenge was to work with your team members to build the tallest tower in the room. And there were points given for tallest, there were points given for sturdiest, and there were points given for like collaboration ability. And so we had like a set amount of time and we had to build this tower using only the materials that we were given. And that just sticks out to me in my memory because it was a moment where you really had to hone your communications and you had to not just be a leader, you also had to know when it was time to be a follower and when it was time to stay open to other people's ideas. Because if you're in a room full of leaders and everybody thinks that they have the right idea, you're not going to get very far. So you have to have also those skills to take in ideas, absorb other people's information and put that for use for the good of the cause. And so it was a week full of those kind of activities. We would engage, we would work together, and then we'd go back and reflect in our journals. And that, oh, that week was just magical. We came into the week not knowing hardly anybody. I think both times I only knew like a handful of people going in. And I think it was like maybe one, maybe one person from my high school and the rest. And this is also before cell phones, you guys. And so we would meet up. We didn't even have Facebook or social media. All we had was like, you know, those Kodak disposable camera memories and the letters that we wrote each other for our final uh, send off that we like tucked away. I still have like my clear backpack that has my camp folder and all of those letters from the people I connected with that week. But even after it was only like five or six days of like staying on campus and like eating at the dining halls and stuff like that, even after that week, I remember that there were tears like tears when our parents came to pick us up that Friday. And we had by that point, like been working together. We had a celebratory final dinner. We had a celebratory final dance. And it was like in such a short amount of time, we made such great friendships. And then each fall when we attended like the state student council conference, we could meet up with these people who we had learned about in the summer before and get reconnected all over again. But for those short amount of times, the friendships that were made and the memories and the impact were really significant. And so in that example, what I learned was like, I didn't do anything big. I wasn't like the leader of the camp. I wasn't like the president of all that was leadership camp. But I did learn that just by participating and just by engaging and having conversations and being open, that Cultivating meaningful relationships is really an essential component to leadership because it's through the people. It's through the interpersonal work that you do that you are able to not just in business, but in all aspects of life, 
make an impact. Cultivating meaningful relationships is essential to leadership. All right, song number three. Everybody knows this one, the Jeopardy theme song. So continuing the time travel to the early 2000s, um, in high school, I had the like coveted role of FFA sweetheart. Now, if you're not familiar with FFA where you are, it's used to stand for Future Farmers of America. Now it's just branded as FFA, the acronym. But what is the FFA sweetheart, you ask? Well, each year, certain females of the junior class were selected to compete to become the FFA sweetheart for their senior year. Now, by compete, we meant like go in front of the FFA or like a select number of their committee and answer questions about like certain farm animals or equipment or things like that. And like some of the things we had to do were like hands-on work. I can't remember all of the details. I truly have a terrible memory. So if I'm misremembering any of this and somebody listening is from the Cascade FFA chapter, I sincerely apologize. But what I remember is like going into Mr. Bell's classroom with no windows and like we had to answer questions about things that I truly had no idea. (laughs) I had no idea. I was a city girl. And by city, I mean like I grew up in town of Cascade, which is population 2,500. So the FFA sweetheart was then announced at the annual springtime FFA banquet. And then her job for the remainder of her senior year was to bring snacks and treats to the monthly FFA chapter meetings. And this was cool because you got to like dress up for the banquet. If you won, you got a sash and a crown. And I won it that junior year. And so then I went forward and I was the FFA sweetheart and I had to make cookies and sweets for the chapter for the month or every month for the year. And while it was cool at the beginning, I quickly did not like this role. <laughs> I, I very quickly realized that it was expensive to, um, to, <laughs> to feed 100 plus like men and women in the FFA chapter. And like you could bring a cookie, you could bring like Rice Krispie treats. But no matter what, like I was, I was making waitressing dollars. And, you know, back in the early 2000s, a cup of coffee at the diner was like 70, 65 cents. So I'd make like an, a dime for every cup of coffee. But regardless, so when it was time for me to assume the stage in my senior year at the FFA banquet and give my like send off address, you know, in years past, like, you know, FFA sweethearts had thanked the FFA members for their time and they learned so much in their, you know, year of service as the FFA sweetheart. And I was a little sassy. And I always like to do things a little differently, right? That little voice in my head said, what if we don't give this send-off address? What if we flip the tables and we have some of the FFA members go in a competition against each other on stage asking a bunch of stereotypical girly-based questions? And that's what I did. So instead of creating and drafting this big speech, I put together a series of questions and made people play a game in front of their teachers, parents, peers, and community members. And there was two teams of select members, most of whom I was friends with, and they were given those buzzers from the game Taboo. I would ask a question, and then they would have to buzz in and give their answer. And they were like, you know, 
some of them were softball questions and some were kind of hard. And I remember having questions about like Sex in the City and Sarah Jessica Parker and um, certain styles and songs and trends of that era. But, um, you know, it's not my finest memory because I think there was an element of revenge <laughs> in me because I was so like, hmm, we're going to we're going to really talk about how this went down. Um, but what I learned was that you don't have to do things the way they've always been done. In fact, it ended up being like something I'm, even though it was a little vengeful, it is something I was proud of because it was like, it was humorous. It brought some levity to the programming that night. And it was a good, it was a good little thing to do. Now, I should say that after all was said and done, I did get um, a little gift from the FFA. So it wasn't all bad. They did give me some compensation, but I just was like, you know, my big takeaway is that just because something was done one way doesn't mean it has to be done that way forever. Leadership moment. <laughs> all right. Leadership lesson number four in our next song. And you guys might know this one, but it is a little bit from an earlier era than the ones we have been doing so far. Do we have any Rolling Stones fans here? You can't always get what you want. In my final year of high school, so again, a lot of these are high school related because I was presenting this originally to a group of young women. And so my senior year of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You've heard this story before, listener, but I was really on the fence about what I wanted to do with my life. And so one of the things that I really had to decide in this senior year was not only what do I want to do with my life, but in the more immediate future, what is my next step after graduation? And so I needed to know where I wanted to go to school. And my parents and a lot of the people in my family had not even attended college before. And so I was going to be the first like of my generation. No, I had some cousins who attended college, but I was really setting out to attend and graduate from college and get like a degree. And so when I was talking through this with my parents, you know, one of the things that we talked about was like, Molly, you're going to need to apply for some scholarships. And, you know, the financial assistance you're able to get is really going to be determined or it's going to determine where you ultimately go. Um, so I did go on some college visits and the one that stuck out the most to me was the University of Iowa. I went on like a game day Friday in the fall. And if you've ever been to Iowa City, there's like these brick pavers in what's called the Ped Mall. And it kind of extends in certain areas of the campus. The campus kind of bleeds into the downtown area. There's like Herky the Hawkeye statues everywhere. There's black and gold everything. The leaves were falling. And it was like a very picturesque moment in my memory. And I remember just feeling like a buzz in the atmosphere. It was really electric. and. In that time, I was like, okay, this is it. This is where I want to go. And I came home thinking that was what I wanted to do. So I filled out an application for that school. And I also began applying to certain scholarships. And as I kind of led with earlier in this episode, like I was an academic and I've been, I was involved in a lot of things. So I thought I was actually a pretty good candidate for some of these um, scholarship opportunities. And as like a second option, as a fallback, I also applied to the University of Northern Iowa and applied for some of their scholarships too. And 
one February day, I came home from school in between school and work. I had like a finite amount of time to change my clothes and get ready for my shift at the machine factory. So when I opened that little letter, I saw one from the University of Iowa. It had a little old capital letterhead up in the left-hand corner. And I like, I knew immediately that this had some news, whether good or bad, I wouldn't know until I opened it. But I opened that envelope and it was in regards to the presidential scholarship, which was like one of the largest financial gifts that the university awarded. And at that point, that was going to be kind of the determining factor of if I went to University of Iowa or if I went to Northern Iowa, because I had been accepted at both. I had received a scholarship for the University of Northern Iowa, but this very letter, if I got the gift from Iowa, I could go there. If I didn't, then I was probably going to have to go to UNI. And when I opened that letter, I did not get that scholarship. And this is a very privileged problem to have, let me clarify, but I was like kind of shook because it was not what I had planned, not what I had visioned for myself. But as I had talked to my parents, you know, they're like, Molly, you, you got to go where it makes the most financial sense. And so I knew that Iowa wasn't in the cards with that simple letter. And so I was a little bit sad for a little while. I didn't go right into work. I said I'd be a little bit late. But when I went into work, my job at the machine factory was to like file papers and put away their prints and put away tools and things like that for the rest of the facility. And I was filing papers in the tool crib. And all of a sudden over the radio, as I was thinking through like how disappointed I was, again, privileged, privileged problem to have. But as I was thinking about how I was like, really upset that I wasn't going to go to Iowa. That song by the Rolling Stones, You Can't Always Get What You Want, came on the loudspeaker. And it came to my ears specifically as like a message that I was supposed to hear that day, as like a God wink, if you will. And so as I was filing those papers and that song came on, I was like, this is a sign. This is a sign that this is how it's supposed to go for me. I am not supposed to go to Iowa like I had planned the bigger plan is for me to go to UNI. And I did find a lot of, like, a lot of peace in that. And even though it was something as simple as a song coming over the loudspeakers that the other 100 people on that shift heard too, I felt like very much in that moment, that message was meant for me. And so what I learned in that moment and the four years that followed as I saw the opportunities that would emerge for me at UNI, like finding teaching as a potential career path, like finding friends that I hadn't, I wouldn't have been able to meet had I gone to Iowa, like being able to have that small town atmosphere of Cedar Falls and that smaller class size and that smaller college experience that really opened me up in a lot of ways that were beneficial down the road. And so even though it wasn't what I had planned, it was exactly what I needed. And so through this example, I learned that leadership is about extracting lessons, not just from the good times where things went well and as planned, but also in those times where things do not follow your vision. They do not follow that action plan that you've established. But even in those quote unquote bad moments, there is a lesson there that you can learn from and improve upon. 
Also, while I was in attendance at the University of Northern Iowa, as I said earlier, I was a working student. And so one of my jobs while I was at UNI was uh, for like two years, I was in one of the offices. That was like my junior and senior year at UNI. But my freshman year, I wanted to continue being a waitress. And so one of the best places in Cedar Falls at that time of 0506 was the place that goes with this song. We're fancy like Applebee's. So I got a job at Applebee's in the fall of my freshman year of college and kind of continuing with you can't always get what you want. I wanted to be a waitress. That place was boom and busy and it had lunch and dinner shifts. The weekends were packed. They always had a wait. And I was like, if I'm going to make some money, it's going to be at Applebee's and I want to be a waitress because they get the best tips. And so I applied, but they didn't need waitresses at that time. They needed hostesses. And so my job, if I chose to accept it, was to keep the front entryway clean, manage the wait list, um, help the servers out if they needed it. And I was like, you know what? I'll do that. And then I'll work my way up to being a waitress and then a bartender. And so um, it was fancy like Applebee's. And you know, the Bourbon Street steak, the Oreo shake, the Fiesta Lime chicken all have a special place in my heart. And at Applebee's, I did learn a lot of leadership. And I learned that customer service is a skill that every leader should have. I believe that every person should have a job as a high schooler. I think that especially those jobs should be in retail or hospitality because you learn so many lessons by interacting with people. And whether those lessons are good or bad, they are essential in later life when you are in your career path, when you are interacting in community and really just understanding how to talk to people, how to work with people how to have that sense of urgency when it's necessary, how to make quick decisions, how to take a unfortunate situation and make it good. I also learned in my role at Applebee's um, how to train others. So as a hostess and as a waitress, I became a trainer. And by like just demonstrating that I was committed to detail and I was like focused on doing a good job, no matter what my role was in that shift, they saw the opportunity for me to train new employees. And I saw an opportunity to get paid $5 an hour and get a free meal when I was training. It was awesome. My like regular rate, which I still cannot believe is $3. Sidebar, there was a pay period for two weeks. Like, so if you haven't worked in customer service, like you get paid less than minimum wage. And in Iowa, like you have to report your tips, but like employers can pay you less than minimum wage because like, tips are included as their quote like their compensation plan. So you have to record your tips and you get taxed on your tips too. So I remember for a two week pay period, my hourly pay was like $3 and 15 cents an hour. And I worked 80 hours that pay period. No, that's not right. No, it could have been because I worked weekends. Um, so I had like a crazy amount of hours <laughs> because I was taxed on the tips that I made. My two week pay period check was eight It was ridiculous. This is not a dink at Applebee's. This is just questioning how how restaurant workers are paid. But anyway, so I learned that customer service is a skill that everyone needs to have, especially if you are 
thinking about going into leadership. Now, millennials, you have a special place in your heart for this song too. All right, we're going to fast forward a few years to the early 2010s, and I am now a teacher in a classroom in Cascade. I was teaching reading language arts to 7th through 12th graders, and again, that small little voice in my head said, what if we teach reading differently? One of the main reasons I decided to become an English teacher was not because I love grammar or because I loved writing instruction. I loved reading from a young age, and I really found a lot of solace and a lot of enjoyment in just like time spent reading books and learning about the characters and exploring different settings and places and time periods, whether it was like Little House on the Prairie or uh, I love the book Walk Two Moons. I really just enjoyed reading. And so when I became a teacher, one of my missions personally was to help other kids see the value of reading for reading's sake. Now, in the early 2010s, the AR reading program was super popular, and it was also in use in my district. And AR is a reading program where kids uh, set a goal for a certain time period, whether it's a semester or a quarter or a trimester, and they are trying to get to a certain number of points. And what they do is they pick books that they want to read, and each book is given a points value based on its length, based on its comprehension, like its difficulty level. And after a student completes a book, then they take a quiz and then that's how they get points towards their goal. Now, sounds like a good plan, right? Because it's encouraging comprehension, things like that. But what I found is that kids would wait until the last minute and just read a whole bunch of easy books, take quizzes. They'd get like one point per book to get to their goal. Or they would, if they wanted to read a really long challenging book, but took them a longer amount of time, they wouldn't hit their goal because they were reading a book for enjoyment, but it just took them longer. It didn't seem like it made sense to me. And there were other teachers in my um, district that thought the same. And so what we attempted was to just do reading for reading's sake. And so my personal goal was to just expose kids to as many books as they could get their hands on and make reading really a fixture and a focus in our daily and weekly, both like practice as well as like in our visual field in my room. And so when I started that school year, my classroom library had something like 75 books and they were just the ones that either I had brought in or the ones that I inherited when I got into that classroom. But I knew that if I wanted to dedicate a portion of every class to reading, then I would have to be able to get the kids books quickly and easily. Because if I send them down to the library, you know, as well as I do, like it becomes a trip which becomes an extension of time and all that stuff. So I wanted to have books right there in my classroom. And so I knew that like asking for budget to buy new books wasn't probably in the cards. So I did what I thought would be best. And I took to this new thing called Facebook and Instagram. And I had accounts just personally. And I said, hey, if anybody has books on their shelf that are just collecting dust, I'd be willing to take them into my classroom. And so Within that first week, we had bumped up over 100 books. Within the first couple of months, we were over 300 books. And by the end of that semester, we had over 500 books in my classroom. I had to get two more bookshelves just to house all these books. And the coolest thing was that like, it wasn't just like the physical number of books that were there. 
but it was like the community rallied around it. And people were asking like if I needed more books, people were asking how the kids were liking them. There were students who at the beginning of the semester, like they could hardly sit still to read for 10 minutes. And by the end of the semester, they were like, Mrs. Canoe, that's only been 30 minutes. Can we please just read the whole period? And that personally to me felt like such a big, big step because they were taking away the lesson, which was that lifelong learning is more important than any amount of points you get for reading a book and completing it. So I learned a couple of leadership lessons, but the big one was that rallying people around a cause can help you achieve something. And especially through using that social media platform to solicit book donations, it helped not only grow my classroom library, but really grow my students in a lot of ways. All right, we're going to skim through some of these next stories because we're getting close on time. Mama said there'd be days like these. So not too long into my full-time teaching career, after just a few years, I found myself the mother of three young kids. And that little small voice inside my head, it wasn't anything dramatic. It wasn't anything drastic. But that little voice just said, what if we do this differently? And instead of putting all the kids in daycare, continuing my full-time job, I became a stay-at-home mom. And thankfully, through my husband and through uh, my family, I left teaching behind. And what that taught me was that as a leader, I don't have to stick to things forever. Like I can believe in something really passionately for a finite amount of time, but then I can move on and I can blaze my own path. In fact, being a leader, I feel like necessitates being open to change and saying, I've thought this for a long time, but now I've learned differently, learned better. And so I'm going to move in that better path. And so with that decision to be a stay-at-home mom, it might not have looked like a leadership step from the outside, but internally it taught me that I don't, again, have to do things that everybody else does. I can do things my own way and it doesn't have to be something that I commit to for a lifetime. It can just be for a season. And now as that seasonal thing happens, you know, being a stay-at-home mom was great for a season, but then I felt like I needed to do something different again. And so I started getting involved in various community um, community groups and initiatives, which leads me to this next song. Video killed the radio star. So in the mid-2010s, uh, our local daycare center was operating out of a re, revamped 1960s convent, like literally for the Catholic nuns. And that was just like repurposed into a daycare center. So it was kind of old. It was small. The rooms were connected via one long skinny hallway in the center of the building. And you'd like with your car seats of kids, you'd like bump into each other. It wasn't conducive for childcare. And it, in fact, like the basement was kind of scary and haunted, I think. But regardless, there were a lot of people, again, rallying people around a cause can achieve great things. A lot of people had that same feeling. And so in our community, a little grassroots group was formed. Uh, the director of the daycare spearheaded this, but then she just brought people together from other areas of the community too to really explore the idea of building a new daycare center for the community. And we created a committee and we worked with a leader from 
our local uh, Eastern Iowa Intergovernmental Agency to get some direction for how to undertake a capital campaign to fundraise a new daycare center. And with the guidance of that person, which was really helpful, and with the collaboration of all of these people on the committee, we were able to go forward with really not just exploring the idea, but raising funds to build this new million plus dollar daycare center. And when it came time to actually do the fundraising, we had some initial like gifts that were really generous and got the project off the ground. But also uh, we had to go and ask people for contributions too. And the next phase of the planning process was to actually go to people on the phone, in person, and ask them to donate to the cause. And I even right now just got a little bit sweaty thinking about that um, because it made me very uncomfortable. And so in the planning session, as we were getting ready to like go make these asks, somebody asked like, okay, Molly, do you want to make some phone calls? And I was like, actually, no, I don't want to. This makes me so uncomfortable. And they're like, that's okay. That's okay. Everybody was really sweet about it. But they're like, okay, so what, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I can make videos. And I knew that through my teacher training at the University of Northern Iowa and then through my teaching experience, I was using Windows Movie Maker for like different projects and to get attention and to engage the kids in projects. And so I thought, why not utilize this Facebook social media platform, put a video out there so people can see behind the scenes of this daycare center and how it just doesn't fit for our local kids. And so we scripted a video. We had my kids read it. I paired that with like videos and photos of kids in the center and we put it out on Facebook. And this was back in like 2014, 2015. And so this was before like TikTok where we see these viral numbers. But back then we got like over 3,000 views on that first video and we were like, oh my gosh, we're onto something. That's like more people than live in Cascade. And so we're like, okay, let's turn this into a series. And so we used video intentionally to help us fundraise for that project. And spoiler alert, the project was funded. It wasn't all because of the video. It was through a lot of work from a lot of different people, but the videos really did help and they played a role in that. And what I learned as a leader from that experience is that you can use your unique gifts and abilities to succeed and not only to help yourself succeed, but to help others succeed. I could have said yes when people asked me to make those phone calls, but I would have felt awful. And there was no promising that my, how I felt would translate to donations. But by using what I knew how to do, my unique skill set of crafting video, I could help in my own way. And that really did contribute to the cause overall. And so as a leader, it doesn't have to look like what everybody else is doing or follow that formula to quote unquote success. It can be just listening to that little voice that asks you, how can we do this differently? And putting it into practice. Okay, a couple of years later, that little voice chimed in again. And I found myself having the opportunity to start my own business, Molly Knuth Media. And again, it wasn't some big declaration of, I think I want to start a business and then like executing research and a business plan and all that. It was just being open to the idea and the opportunity that was in front of me. And I truly believe that MKM could have stayed a like one-on-one service-based agency, but I think that what really helped me 
grow in awareness and in impact especially was when I decided to use all of these lessons that I had learned thus far. So by using Facebook, by using video, by using what I'd learned as a teacher, by learning that people rally around a cause, by learning that cultivating relationships was important, I was able to take social media into a space in our area that wasn't just like a newspaper ad or a billboard. It was really about telling stories and connecting with others. And not only was I using social media to sell my own services, I was using it to educate. And for a number of years, I would show up weekly on Facebook with trainings that were free to attend, just with the goal of small, helping small business owners understand how to market better themselves online. And so one week we might train on morning routines. Another week we might train on how to post a video. Another week we might train on how to use Canva, or we might talk about how to integrate your social media with your larger marketing plans. And so each week I showed up and while at the time it looked a little bit weird because like, you know, I would say before internet, like business really took off and in rural areas, it seemed like that took a little bit longer to really catch hold. But before that, like there was this feeling of like, you couldn't give away your trade secrets. You couldn't let the competition see what you were doing. You couldn't like open yourself up to being replicated and copied. But when I thought about it, as I was starting MKM and I thought, okay, if even just if every business in my town wanted me to help them, I would not be able to accommodate. I would not be able to help all of them. So why not just show up as the teacher that I was and help these other small business owners? And also if they do need my services down the road and they already have this taste of what it's like to learn and work with me, I'm going to be that top of mind person. And so I showed up with these MKM lives week after week. And I really do think that's what kind of laid the foundation for my business, not just as a social media business, but also as a place to go for education, information, and assistance. And the leadership lesson I took away from this was that leadership isn't just like getting yourself out there and putting yourself up on a pedestal and like, you know, sharing all of the successes and things like that when you're a business owner. The best thing you can do as a leader and a business leader, especially, is to turn around, see who's walking the path behind you, and give them a hand so they can do it faster, better, and more efficiently than you did. And I think that's true in a lot of different industries, not just in business. The best leaders in the homes, the best leaders in the churches, the best leaders in the communities are not the ones who keep all the secrets to themselves. They're the ones who help others elevate too. Okay, and then last but not least, I've learned that leadership looks different in every season of life, and there's always moments and seasons of change. Now, this change is Taylor's version. You know, we're all about supporting women around here. Um, so leadership looks different in every season, but it starts with that small question, how can I do this differently? And as we go into 2023, I really do feel like this is the next version of me coming to the service. 2022 was a lot of like figuring stuff out. We tried a lot of new things, both at home and in MKM. And 2023, my two words that are really like carrying me forward are profit and prune. So profit is like in the business, are the things that we are doing, are they profitable? 
because we can do a lot of things. We can add a lot of services. We can make things cool. But if they're not driving the bottom line and they're not like, and not that that's all that it's about, but in this season of business, we have to be aware of that. Number two, prune. I really want to pull back to just the things that are essential. If you haven't read the book Essentialism by Gregory McCune, go get it. It is such a great exercise in evaluating where you're spending your time and dollars and making sure that it's the essential things that you're focusing on, not the trivial many things that are like asked of us every day. And so as we go forward into 2023, I know that I'm on the precipice of this change, that something in me is changing, and you might be feeling that too. And so I want to encourage you, like through all of these stories, all of these mantras, you can lead others by leading yourself, by cultivating meaningful relationships. You can be a leader. You don't have to do things the way they've always been done. You can take lessons from the good and the bad. Like by rallying people around a cause, you can do anything. You don't have to stick to things forever. You can blaze your own path. You have unique skills that help you and others succeed. Leadership is about turning around and giving a hand to those walking behind you. And leadership looks different in every season of life, but it starts with asking that small question of yourself, how can I do this differently? And even just by showing up on this podcast, I'm exercising a lot of these mantras in real time. But as I look forward to 2023 and I think about profit and prune, and I think about all that we unveiled at MKM and rolled out in 2022, there are a couple of things that I need to share with you guys here at the podcast too in terms of how we are changing in this next season. So two big things. Number one, I love this podcast so much. It lights me up to sit here and share like insights with you. But I know that going into especially the summer season, I need to be really, really, really aware of where I'm spending my time. So rather than doing weekly episodes for the months of April through August, we are cutting back to two episodes a month on the Found Podcast. One will be a solo cast and one will be a guest interview. So after August, I'm not sure. Maybe we'll stick to bi-weekly. Maybe we'll go back to the weekly format. I'm just feeling it out. But the cool thing is that I can change my mind, right? We are open to change and we can make it fit our lives as we need to. Number two, last year I announced that MKM bought a storefront space and we were going to expand into a physical location. Now, as I was focused on profit and pruning, I realized that wasn't really my vision anymore. It had been my dream for a number of years, but for a variety of reasons, it just wasn't going to fit how I visioned my future. And so I had to let go of my dream of being a, and it wasn't even a letting go of the dream. When I really dug into it, it was more letting go of the ego that I had built up around like why I wanted this in the first place, which I realized was a lot of ego in that. But anyway, long story short, we are no longer pursuing the build out of a physical storefront. So I don't know at the time of this recording or you're listening if it's still available, but there is a building available on Main Street and Cascade if you guys want it. So those are the big changes you'll see coming up. But again, I want you to just really dig into the fact that you can be a leader, even in small ways. And as hard as we like to stick to our guns and think that we are the best leaders and the best business owners, if we stay committed to this vision that we've cast or these goals that we've set, sometimes the best things that we can do as a leader is to listen to that voice asking, how can I do this better? Or how can I do it differently? And then having the courage and the curiosity 
to carry it out. All right, everybody. I hope you have a great week. I will be back in two weeks with the next new episode. In the meantime, there are over 100 episodes in our catalog. Go back and find a great guest interview or a action-packed solo cast, and you can still get your fill. But I thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being open and flexible with these changes that are happening in real time at MKM. And I just wish you all the best. Hey friend, thank you so much for listening in to The Found Podcast. If you loved what you heard in today's episode, please head over to The Found Podcast on iTunes or Spotify and leave us a review. It means so much to know how you think about these episodes where I pour out my heart or to know what strategies you found most effective from our guest experts. While you're there, you can also check out that library of 100 plus episodes of stories of female founders and successful strategies for getting found in your business. Thank you again for being here this week and I'll be back with even more in next week's episode.